but how I knew that I was really affected by just the, the stress and burden of work was I started getting some faster heartbeats or heart palpitations for a while. And I, I also went to the doctor for it because I thought it was something that had to do with, with my health or with, with something that's related to not mentally, just with my body. Welcome back to Social Confos. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world watching this live. And Diego, I added a new channel. So for the first time ever, we're going live on Fim TV, and I'm really excited to see. And maybe next week we'll talk about... Uh... Oh yeah, I just noticed that, definitely. But yeah, next week we'll talk about it. But quickly, just short, what's Fim? Because I've never actually heard about it. Fim and... TV is a live streaming platform on the Hive blockchain. Ah, yeah, we talked yeah. all about Hive two weeks ago. So <laughs> yeah. uh, if you missed that, check that out, our conversation with John Olson, all about Hive. But today, today, we're going back local, we're going back, you know, to the corporate world, to marketing, to entrepreneurship. Today, we have actually someone who for the last time, I think maybe over 10 years ago, I saw her when we graduated from, I wasn't even there for my own graduation from high school, actually. Wow. But yeah, we were in, you know, high school together at the NAM. And yeah, she went to the Netherlands to further her study and since then has been started a career there. And occasionally came back to Syria on vacation, but I've been following her on LinkedIn, on the socials and seeing the developments. And I thought it was interesting, the journey she took, like working for a big company. And then now she's actually starting her own thing. I actually saw a few weeks or months ago, there was an event here with the virtual handles Missy. So lots of stuff happening. And I'd like to welcome to the stage Chandel Hermelaine. Chandel, welcome <laughs> to Social Convos. Thank welcome. you. Love the intro. So I have to ask quickly, you both graduated from Atta. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so you're okay. also actually a, a yeah. student from the Atta. Yes, I'm also from Atta. And it's funny because, yeah, you both started when I already graduated. So it's, it's kind of confronting in a way <laughs> that I'm getting old. But also like assuring that when you get older, age really doesn't matter that much anymore. But it's very, it's very confronting that you both went to Atta after I already graduated. And there's actually just about six years in between as well. So that's pretty, pretty fun. But Chanel, welcome to the show. Thank you. And uh, we have to ask the, the simple question. What do you miss most? about Suriname? I think the the weather, the food, and also, of course, family. My parents both live here. I also have some dear friends and other people that are close to my heart here. So it's the people, the food, and the weather, of course, because in, in the Netherlands, it's, it's unpredictable and cold. So, yeah. Have you gotten used to the weather at, at any point? Can you say, like... You're more prepared for the winter than you were when you came to the Netherlands. Well, I must say, I also think it's kind of shifting towards wearing the right stuff. So if you have the right clothing, which oftentimes doesn't really feel or look great, but it really works. So the my latest kind of weatherproof purchase was, was a, a raincoat. So it really blocks out the wind as well, because in Holland, sometimes it's, not really cold, but when the uh, wind hits, it's like, whoa. So I think those those investments in kind of good clothing really help to kind of get used to the weather. Yeah, so I'm not really used to it, but I guess I'm dressing better and kind of knowing and sensing a bit more what to wear. So yeah. That's really interesting that the weather, the seasonal changes has made you more conscious on, you know, how, how you dress, how you present yourself, because mm -hmm. one, it has to be practical. And two, it still has to look good, uh, especially working in, you know, in, in, in a professional sense in the, mm -hmm. in the corporate world. And 
and also in a, in a casual sense, I'd say. But yeah, let, let's dive uh, okay. straight into that, I guess. Yeah. Uh, after high school, basically, mm-hmm. you, you went straight away to the Netherlands. When I graduated here, and I think for most people graduating here, and when you have the opportunity to study abroad, it's kind of like, okay, you go study abroad and you become an, a doctor or a, a lawyer or something like really not here, but like immediately on the top of, of, of the chart in terms of education. So I also felt that pressure. Basically the traditional roadmap, you know, you, you, you go for, mm-hmm. for your bachelor's and then you went straight for your master's. Can you tell us a bit about that trajectory for you? Was it all planned out having that tradi- traditional mindset, like getting your degrees, getting a job at a big company? Yeah. Was, was it all planned? That's exactly how it went. So basically, but I must say, I wasn't really focused on what I wanted. I also had a strange mix of courses during my my high school time. So I was kind of, it was kind of a mix between more the, like, I, I did have some physics and some some advanced math, but then also I had history as well. And I also had economics. So it was kind of like a a weird mix uh, because I, I kind of never really wanted to choose and never really knew what I wanted. So when I needed to make the choice to study abroad, I was like, shoot, what, what, what do I want? What do I, what can I do? Uh, and I knew I didn't want to go into the, the medical field for some reason. I, I really didn't feel the, the need to go that bad. I also didn't feel like anything in the, in the law in law would be something suitable for me because you have to read a lot. And that is also something that wouldn't suit me. So that's how I kind of rolled into business administration and kind of that more corporate route. I was contemplating on doing also psychology because for some reason that really had my interest, but I just really didn't know what I wanted. So I kind of also went on the path of just following the the quote unquote expectations of people around me, but also just in general, I think our society and and kind of the expectation of many people here, many parents here in that time. So really focused on my study. I applied, I, I got in and then I was just like, okay, need to finish my studies and just only focused on getting it done. And then I came into kind of a phase where I had to choose again what I wanted to do after my bachelor. So that was also kind of a stressful period of deciding what I wanted and actually one of the first really conscious choices that really had an impact on kind of my my future. So I, I must say in that time, the choice to, because I did a master's in finance and investments, and the choice was really a bit more practical rather than uh, something I really enjoy because I had a Surinamese passport and 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 a Surinamese visa also staying in Holland. So I knew I wanted to kind of get some experience, work experience. So getting a job in that time was kind of my main focus and and that was the hot area to find a job in finance and investment. So that's why I did that master. But still always focused on just the broader picture and wanting to learn a lot and not really wanting to specialize in anything specific. So that's why I kind of dived into consulting and not specifically into one type of thing, but really, yeah, the broader sense of, of consulting. Yeah. So, so what you say you're more left brain or right means left being the more analytical analytical and mm-hmm. right brain more the creative emotional feeling that because you you made a lot of you know more practical choices based mm-hmm. on what, what what I've heard there yes definitely so I I think I'm just now or just in recent years I think after I I quit my job in consulting I've been more into in tune with kind of what I feel, what I want, more the creative side and more just letting things be. Up until that point, I really had a script for myself, which I wasn't really necessarily aware of. I didn't really have a list of, okay, this is what I need to do. But I I didn't really give myself the freedom to kind of choose a different path. So I, I just went on the, I think the typical the typical path, that the safe path, I would say that people would normally go on if you want to yeah 
become successful in a certain career. So uh, yeah, I think I've been more like uh, analytical, but now diving more into. Do you think it's it's the the yeah the traditional path? Is 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 it more like the upbringing, the society, schooling that uh, frames you in that, or was it more something more personal? And did the the culture in the Netherlands enforce that once you got there? Well, I I think it's maybe also a mentality of because we we have it in in our culture and especially for people going abroad because there's a sense of yeah a lot of expectations and hope that people people put onto kids and people just uh, moving abroad to study but i think it's also not necessarily Suriname but just a i would say an a mentality of 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 migrant students you feel like you have you have this golden opportunity to make it in a big world or to get something that you know other people don't really have or can't really access so you feel the need to do it perfect and to get the most out of it so you're very i think especially hard on yourself because i i don't feel like my parents specifically or my direct family was really like you must or you it's just something you kind of adopt and then yeah it's you don't you don't question it i think that's the big part so if i would If I would compare myself to maybe Dutch students or students who grew up in the Western society, they, they're kind of more free-flowing and see a bit more of other routes that you can take. So maybe more creative routes. And I think that's less of an option for uh, migrant students. Or it's it's maybe not, maybe also because we're not introduced to it uh, as... Is it early. changing? Do you feel there is a change going, mm. a shift going that it's it's becoming more? Because you're talking, the way you're talking is it's very familiar. Yeah. It's very traditional. You mentioned law, medicine, mm-hmm. economics. Mm-hmm. Basically, those three studies are if you don't dive into those fields, yeah. you're safe. Mm-hmm. You do something else like, how are you going to support for yourself after you're done? Yes, so, exactly. <laughs> so, so I, but are you noticing like a shift? Are you seeing that it's becoming more common to mm-hmm. go into a creative field? Do you feel that yes. people like people that finish high school now in Suriname are migrants all over the world? They have more opportunity to say to their parents, like, I want to do something different. Yeah, I definitely. I, I do see a shift and I think social media has a, has a big impact on that as well where you can kind of get introduced to different ways of of earning money at an early age. You kind of see a lot more on what's happening in the world and what your options are, but also kind of, I think for, for migrant students, students in Suriname, they also get exposed to other countries. So they also see kind of the bigger picture earlier. And I think just in general, I'm I'm not sure if you guys would agree, but from what I've seen and what I've been noticing, entrepreneurship specifically is kind of is making a, a big come up in in just my peer group, but especially the kind of the the more I think it's Gen Gen Z probably that group is is doing a lot of side hustles while they're still working or starting while they're studying with selling stuff online or yeah, anything that they can get their hands on. So I, I do see a shift actually, yeah. You brought up entrepreneurship and I, I want to mm-hmm. bring bring up this segment. We will save it for a bit later, but this, mm-hmm. I think this is uh, the opportune time okay. to to bring this in, Shanduk. And to start mm, sure. off, we, we, we thought of a segment like overrated, underrated, and we're going to throw in some mm. uh, random topics. And you just tell us if you think it's overrated or underrated. Okay. And if you, if you have a short ex- explanation, doesn't have to be. Feel free to share. So you mm-hmm. mentioned entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. and it, it's all the hype now. It's becoming mainstream. So in your opinion, do you think entrepreneurship is overrated or? I I would say, the feeling I get is that it's. And properly properly rated is also an answer. Just in case you want to use that. Now and then, so it's overrated, underrated, or proper. I properly would, rated. I, I would say, ra- it's, it's, it's overrated. I, I would say overrated because I, I feel like, especially if you look, at, I, I don't think entrepreneurship in itself is something that's overrated, but the hype around entrepreneurship at the moment is really, 
kind of a bit in your face. And also I feel like people are kind of ignoring other paths that also might be good to follow as well. So it's almost like becoming a, for instance, as we spoke about being a doctor or becoming, so some, some paths you can go into as an entrepreneur, if you want to, for instance, be in like uh, work for NASA, right? Work on spaceships. That's not something you can just roll into through entrepreneurship. So some roles and yeah, I think also scientists and, you know, so I think there are many roles and career paths that still need to get valued. And I think we, especially the younger generation, they kind of overvalue the entrepreneurship part and just doing things for yourself, but not really looking at kind of how it contributes to society as a whole. And also being a bit too focused on, okay, I have to do something right now for me and money. And yeah, so I would say overrated. (laughs) It's a long explanation, sorry. That's fine. Okay, two mm. more for me, an easy one, and then uh, a more midway one, then I'll okay. hand it over to Shan. Look, sushi. Oh, nice one, Diego. Underrated. Underrated, yeah. Love sushi. <laughs> awesome. All right. The price is the overrated, but yeah, the sushi. Yeah. <laughs> agreed, agreed. <laughs> and the next one, owning a house. Ooh, I think I, I'll just go against the grid. I'll still overrated. Uh, because I think there are other ways also to invest instead of just having your cash fixed in in a house that doesn't bring you anything. So yeah, I would say overrated. But if you can afford it, just yeah, go for it. But yeah, it's my turn. Okay, first one, Fortune five hundred. The companies. Yeah. Overrated. Second one would be Facebook. Overrated. I'm not on Facebook. <laughs> not really. No. Okay. And the last one, a little bit towards your your specialization in your studies, decentralized finance. Difficult. I'd say overrated in the sense because I, I think there are many ways to go about it, but I think the investing, the the kind of the peer investing in 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 it is a bit overrated at the moment. I hope you guys don't kill me on that one, but I think people are kind of also in in Holland. There's now a hype that people use their study, their grants for study, to invest in in Bitcoin and and other coins. So oh, this is <laughs> this is not brilliant. Okay. Might not be the ex- the right term, but yeah, we we phrase it as brilliant. Like, but like, <laughs> it's kind of almost comical, indeed. <laughs> yeah. So I think, yeah, I would say overrated, yeah. So one of the, because we have some fewer, fewer questions as well, mm-hmm. Gregory says like, uh, no, DeFi is very, very underrated. Um, Anil is saying, how are you guys doing? I'm actually, if I might be wa- looking away because I'm also watching the screen on Film TV because I just found out that if you do an uh, RTMP uh, stream, uh, the, the comments from Hive are actually not showing up. But there are people that are watching here on Hive mm-hmm. also saying definitely overrated. So that's interesting as well. People on a decentralized platform actually saying that decentralized finance is also a little bit overrated. Mm-hmm. And Gregory also has another question because you talked about family earlier. Yeah. So he wants to know if there's any relationship to the car business, uh-huh. Hermelaine. And if so, how come you didn't go into the family business? Yeah, so I am related to them, but the Hermelaine family is quite big. So I don't have contact with, with the Hermelaine uh, family that has the car business. Okay. So are you satisfied with your answers, Diego? Oh, Shandell should be satisfied. I'm, I'm, and I'm glad she's well, bringing some hot takes to the table. This, you know, brings up the thinking to people. And it's not that everyone should follow mainstream stuff and share some of that. And agreed, I, I do that the, the owning a house thing, I do think that it's overrated at this mm-hmm. uh, stage as well. So, yeah. From a utility uh, perspective or from an investment perspective? Okay, short on this, uh, for yeah. my, my take from owning a house, for example, if it's to own a house to live in, it's not an investment. That's a liability at this stage, uh, especially this early, mm-hmm. especially if you want to, you know, uh, study, travel and develop your career. Uh, 
saving or taking a, a loan or a, a mortgage to get a house. I think that's overrated. You can better spend that money. But if you're planning to invest it, invest it as real estate to appreciate in value. Future-wise, it might be an option to look at, but I'd mm-hmm. still hold off of it because of the the skyrocketing prices of real estate. But especially for our age group, I'd say it's definitely overrated. Okay, but, yeah. interesting, interesting. You, you don't agree, Shanluk? I just see there. So mm-hmm. here's what happened. COVID really took people back. See, for mm-hmm. us, it's a little bit different. So one of the things I think that's different from migrant students like ourselves is that when we go to Western countries to study, it's our first like out of the house experience. Mm-hmm. So we really don't have a problem with going back to our parents and living there. Like we enjoy it. There's free, free food. There's a refrigerator stuffed with everything. And your parents are happy that you're still spending time with them. Mm. From a perspective of a Westerner, like most Westerners, especially in the Netherlands, where people at a young age, when they're 16, they kind of do their things first out of those things. When they go to study, they go on to separate rooms. So they're kind of used to not being with their parents. So for them, moving back to their parents' house is much more of a big deal than it's for us. Mm-hmm. So I think from that perspective with COVID, it did hurt because for COVID, often going back home is kind of the safe route to go because you're less lonely and you're less conflicted with difficult situations. And for, I think, and the housing market is insane now in in, in some parts of Europe because of Mm -hmm. this, because all of these people were like, yeah, I don't need a house. I can roam around, go to another country, do whatever, and then later on in life decide, all of a sudden they're confronted with, wait, I need a home. I need some place I can call home. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden the market really keeps moving up. So from that perspective, I think the context matters. I don't think for everyone. Mm -hmm. And yes, as a utility, I think more as a utility, I do think like it's, it's getting properly rated due to COVID. Fair enough. Let's get back to Chandel. So Chandel, yeah, we 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 segue to to the entrepreneurship common, but mm-hmm. let's talk about the, your your experience in the corporate world uh, a bit before we talk more about your entrepreneurial journey now. Mm-hmm. And so you've worked uh, straight out of bachelor, straight into a master's, and straight into the workforce in the Netherlands, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And you've actually made it to working for one of the the big four companies, as you call it. So could you shortly explain what a big four company is? Uh, like, what, what should you think about and why are they called the big four? Yeah. So in the corporate environment, there's uh, a lot of companies that provide consulting services. So whenever a company, mostly Fortune 500 companies, run into problems in, in anything regarding their business, they oftentimes uh, take on a consulting company to fix the problem or to assist with with any shifting changes or, or things happening. And within that domain, there are four companies that they call the, the big four, KPMG, Deloitte, uh, PwC, and UI. So those are kind of the big accounting firms and they call it the big four. But you also have McKinsey and Boston Consulting Group which are considered more top tier, more strategic consulting, but you you kind of have those two areas where kind of the big, yeah, the the biggest clients get served in in the consulting domain. I do want to follow up on this because we get overrated, underrated. So one more overrated, underrated (laughs) question. Outsourcing, underrated, overrated. Oh, underrated. Okay, do do elaborate. Yeah, so I think outsourcing it it made a shift, and I did the I think we mentioned it earlier a webinar with Fertuil uh, Handelsmissie about kind of outsourcing towards other countries and Suriname being one of them. So I think it's underrated because there is a overrated hype towards, for instance, India and some other countries that have been doing this for uh, already 10 plus years. So a lot of IT is being outsourced to India, which is, I think, very financial-wise, a wise decision of of many companies. So most companies I've seen uh, through my consulting, they usually outsource their IT to India. So 
when you within the company have an IT issue, you kind of phone someone from India and it's like that person is taking over your screen and fixing anything you might have with VPN or some other apps. So I think that's helpful because it's it's economical for the company, but then also it provides job opportunities in in India. And what you see now, because outsourcing has many, you get you have many ways of kind of outsourcing, right? You can outsource a whole business function like the the IT I mentioned, but then also some specific things within your company. And I think it when done right, when you outsource the right things, it also frees you up to focus more on the core of your business. So if you if you're not an HR specialist, hire an HR company to to fix that for you, especially if you're more of a startup, setting up a whole a whole business unit just to service five people working there is yeah, it doesn't make sense. And I think uh, there's also kind of a shift happening towards outsourcing, kind of peer-to-peer outsourcing. Uh, a lot of people are setting up their own businesses, also going into kind of the freelance consulting or freelance anything, freelance businesses. So you do see that more people are are kind of making use of that peer-to-peer outsourcing and not necessarily the big company. So I think that part is definitely underrated or at least something that's kind of making a big come up. Yeah. So that's that would be my my take on that. Cool. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. Peer-to-peer, more peer-to-peer rising yeah. up, get noticed. But quickly back to mm-hmm. the big companies, though. Yes. Um, so, yeah, they, they outsource a lot. They, mm-hmm. they outsource big departments and do the consulting and everything. Yes. What are some misconceptions that generally people have and maybe something you've experienced, like going into the company that you've had mm-hmm. that thought would be, oh, all rainbows and sunshine. And when you get there, it's like, no, it's not really like that. And something positive and something negative, for example. Yeah, I, I think I didn't really know what I what I would come across in, in consulting. So I kind of dived into it kind of with an open mind and also eager to learn. I, I did work prior to that consulting job in a, for a smaller firm or also in consulting. But then when I jumped into the big four, I was just kind of eager to get more knowledge on yeah all the different companies and also kind of finding my place in, in, in my career. So I think the positive thing of working in consulting would be you really get a kind of a bird's eye view of a specific corporate sector or just a broader sense of how the corporate world works. Uh, you you get to see, instead of seeing one company at a time, you, you see your con- what happens within your consulting firm, but then also you see a broader picture of at the clients, right? So that also gives you a sense of how things generally work and you can just easily kind of make up a, a bigger picture of, of what you'd like or how companies are set up. I think that's that's the positive side. The the negative side, or yeah, I'm I'm not sure if I really have misconceptions because I I really went in with an open mind. I'm not sure what other people's conceptions are of of how consulting looks like. So maybe you guys can pitch in and say what your conception is, and I can just see if it's a myth or not. Let, let me try the okay. picture. So yeah. are you familiar with the television series Suits? Oh, yes, yes, yes. So it, when I hear the, these types of companies, that, that's something I picture, like, you know, mm-hmm. guys in the suits, you have these tall buildings, we go in the office, stacks of paper. Yeah, you have a meeting, blah, blah, blah. And then you have lawsuits here and there. Yeah. How, how does that go? Is that something I should picture or is that just Hollywood? I think there are companies where it's just like suits, definitely. So, but in the bigger companies, there's kind of a shift because you have, it's it's like you you have it's one company but there are so many departments with kind of their own cultures and ways of working so in an IT department it's it's maybe a bit less strict a bit more casual so you see people that are kind of just doing their own thing and really laid back and relaxed the department i worked for was in uh, financial services so when we went to clients, it was kind of like suits. So I would just wear my, you know, the the Rachel skirt. With, yeah, 
the suit and all my my colleagues would also wear their suit but there was uh so when i was in consulting there was this some type of a, a shift happening where people would and i think that's a good shift worry less about kind of coming in a suit and having your tie you know straight and all of that so uh, a strategy that would be applied sometimes would be not going with a tie or sometimes you know having a bit unbuttoned just to kind of also show that we're human <laughs> when we're going to the clients and also to just make that that more human connection with the clients and that also has to do with the shifts that happen at the clients because in most companies there's also kind of a in my time there was a, a shift happening not just having casual fridays where you can wear whatever you'd like but just looking at it more broadly it's it's about the knowledge you bring and about the work that you do and not necessarily on how you dress so at clients and if it's internal it makes less sense but for in consulting specifically there was i think a bit more and and still is a bit more emphasis on it because you you're making first impressions almost all the time so and people are hiring you to bring in a professional opinion and and they pay a lot a lot a lot a lot of money so it does help to also look the part when you go in so yeah that's that's such a fair fair answer <laughs> but i do have to ask the question have you had situations where you did not wear heels and you were frowned upon for not wearing heels when I started, so you have these courses that you take before you kind of really join the company and it's kind of like the fundamentals. And one of of the topics discussed is also how you need to dress or how you what would be preferred. So no one really specifically said, why aren't you wearing heels? But uh, you do feel a sense of like, hmm. Okay, she has an off day, or maybe That's she's funny. a bit tired, or you know. So yeah, you you do have you do sense that, and also if everyone's coming in their suits, and so it's kind of also peer pressure, I think, of keeping it alive. Yeah, but I I didn't have any, okay. any issues okay. personally. No, no, fair. Yeah. yeah, how much of a big difference is it when it comes to office politics? Oh, office politics, office politics. Yeah. <laughs> so I must say, I, office politics, I speak a lot with, with just peers and friends that are all, also in the, in the corporate space. And I think one of the biggest turnoffs for people, especially our age, is the office politics part, because you feel like you've studied and you just want to do what you've been studying for and get paid for that. But then comes in the the office politics part, and especially in, yeah, I would say in in consulting as well. There's kind of an they call it up or out. So either you go up in the chain or you go out to a different company. So there's a big. It's like a pyramid the way these companies are set up. You have a big base of of like junior senior consultants, and then you go up to manager, and then you go up to partner. And when you're a partner, you actually get equities in the firm. But the 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 higher you go, the the less people are on top. So a lot of people go out and go to different companies which is kind of the natural flow of how things go because you do oftentimes get paid a lot more once you go to a different company that's not in consulting. So because they also know you're building your CV and they kind of use that also to pay you less in a sense. So, but to, to get on top, there's a lot of things that happen. So aside from the general HR, kind of the, the, the normal uh, procedures of having to give feedback and receive feedback, getting evaluations from managers you've worked with or getting evaluations from clients. You also need to make sure you kind of network within the company well. And also you can do your work well, but if no one knows you're doing it well, then are you even, you know, doing it well or do you even want to get a promotion? So that part I think was also difficult for me kind of, Aside from doing the work well, also making sure I show people that I'm doing it well, and that's something. So the I, yeah, so that's the, than being a people person, like 
actually socializing yeah. professionally. Yeah. Socializing professionally. Exactly. So, and I must say in, in my in my department, it wasn't as bad, but I did see situations in other departments where people would kind of take the the act as if they did something but on their own and not credit everyone that was involved just to get a, a stripe on, on their chest and to get promoted. So I did notice that. And for myself, I did feel specifically the pressure to get a promotion. That pressure was pretty high back then where you just feel like, okay, I need to get everything perfect. And you also get a score, so you need to get that. So uh, the pressure is definitely high to, to get Could, could you tell us about that pressure? And I want to relate this to the, the burnout topic. So yeah. the, the common, yeah, another misconception maybe from my side, you know, you hear these people work 100, 120 hours in, in these big consulting firms yes. and they, they don't really get paid, especially if you're in the, as you said, the, the lower chain, Yes. The, the, don't necessarily, it doesn't reflect the work you do mm-hmm. uh, in that sense. And then yes. you also have this combining pressure to perform and so you get, get promoted and get higher up in the ladder. Mm-hmm. How common is that? And as you said yourself, that pressure to get that promotion, mm-hmm. how common are burnouts in, in such companies? And- oh, very common. And I think maybe people don't really get to burnout because they tap out at the right time or when it gets too much, but people are definitely stressed out a lot and overworked a lot. So I think 120 hours. It differs maybe also per company and per project and the deadlines you're dealing with or the clients you're dealing with, how much hours you actually put in. And also if it's an understaffed project, you just need to put in some extra hours. So for me personally, it was definitely making 10 hour days almost yeah, on the regular. But then if it would be a client, really important client project or a deadline, we would often stay in the office, sometimes together, or sometimes I would just stay on my own until 11 or 12 at night. So we would we'd order food and then just work until we're finished. It wasn't uncommon that we would make such such hours at all. So yeah, that that's definitely something that's correct. Yeah. So so where and when came the bro- the breaking point for yourself? Do you, do you yes. remember the moment that? it kind of, it tilted. Yeah, definitely. So I think I, so what I mentioned earlier in our conversation is that I kind of was still searching for the actual career path or things that I would like to do for myself. So I started in consulting kind of really excited and and open to learn new things, started on some strategic projects and also uh, business transformation projects. So any kind of shift in in ways of working at clients, we would kind of help them with, with the implementation. And it was very exciting at first, but I think that the shift for me, because I experienced definitely being overworked and also being stressed a lot, I wasn't really diagnosed with burnout. So I'm very careful to use that term, but I, I do think it's a sense of burnout or overworked. But it it started happening when I was in the phase of getting my promotion. So I felt a lot of pressure to get things done. I was also on a project that had a, a lot of hard deadlines that we, we needed to, to, to meet. So making a lot of hours, but then also feeling this pressure of will I get a promotion or not? Because it's like a it's almost like a lottery. You know, you have this group of people who are all eligible to make that promotion, but only a few get selected. So I I definitely sense the pressure, even though I, I think from the outside, you wouldn't really sense it. But how I knew that I was really affected by just the, the stress and burden of work was I started getting some faster heartbeats or heart palpitations for a while. And I, I also went to the doctor for it because I thought it was something that had to do with, with my health or with, with something that's related to not mentally, just with my body. So it actually impacted you like physically? It actually impacted me physically, yeah. And I think around that time was also the first time I experienced somewhat, yeah, I, I think anxiety attacks. So kind of feeling all of a sudden like this extra brush of fear inside your body. You physically feel it. And I've read a lot about it also, experiencing it kind of 
trying to understand how it works. And some people really experience kind of like a blackout or just need some time off. But I would just be, you wouldn't notice it from the outside, but from the inside, I would just be have a moment where it's like your mind and body is a bit out of control or it's it's almost kind of like you've been running a couple of miles and you're sitting down and you're kind of catching your breath, but you haven't done anything physical. So that's kind of the experience I, I had. And it wasn't a constant thing. It kind of came up and went down, came up and went down. So I, I didn't really diagnose it as anxiety attacks or, or being overworked or stress, stressed until it happened for a couple of months. And then I was kind of like, okay, I think something's really wrong with me and I need to get it checked or get, get some help for it. So how do you actually, if you have to, you know, based on your experience mm-hmm. and someone maybe going through this, was the experience generally before this point worth it to you? Or would you do anything different before or was it foundational to the change you're doing now? Because we're shifting to the change a bit mm-hmm. now. Would you do anything different before that breaking point? Before that breaking point, I think I just wasn't aware at all. I also had a sense, and I think many people have that sense that uh, you feel kind of invincible and or feel like a burnout or things in that of that nature. You're not susceptible to it. I definitely felt that way because I did see people around me that had, you know, were in those situations and I just couldn't identify with it. And I also couldn't really understand how you kind of lose control of of your mind and body. You get kind of disconnected. I couldn't understand how that happened. So it was also kind of hard to accept the fact that I had to go through that and I, that I was dealing with it. But I, I think prior to it, I I really wasn't aware. So with the knowledge I have now, I probably would have slowed down or at least I the awareness itself would already would have already helped me to to slow it down in my in my head but yeah i think it needed to happen for me to kind of gain perspective on something so yeah interesting question by anil which is how did the company help you to cope with the stress <laughs> how much were they aware and mm-hmm. to what extent did they help you out yeah i they weren't really aware because i myself was kind of I had it was like an internal struggle or battle I was I was fighting and I did have a you do have kind of a a manager with who you speak to on a regular and ask yeah they ask how it goes and but you you feel like everyone's in that position everyone's kind of stressed out and you also notice kind of everyone's a bit stressed out so the stress is kind of normalized but I think people and myself included don't really address it until it's kind of too late. And that's exactly what happened with me because I I didn't really recognize the difference between being stressed versus really having to take a break and and slow it down. Yeah. So one more over under question Mm. because I saw that you follow Brene Brown. So (laughs) vulnerability uh, underrated or overrated? Underrated. Definitely underrated. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So after that, you decided to make a change for yourself while making changes for others. So how did yes. the entrepreneurial journey start for you? Yeah. So it ties in with my experience of, of being stressed and overworked. I think the, the underlying kind of trigger of feeling that way was me also kind of finding my place and also not really being secure in what I wanted to, to actually do in my career. So when you have to make all those hours and do stuff that you don't necessarily get any energy from or any satisfaction from it it has i think you get overworked even easier and that was the case for me because the the types of projects that i used to do were more related to in the beginning it was more like business transformation type of work the work i'm also doing right now and more strategic consulting 
but then it shifted a bit more towards also regulatory changes and, and operational risk. And that's creating a lot of reports and not really being connected with uh, the actual client. So I, I missed the connection. I was just behind my lap, laptop a lot making reports and, and that really didn't give me the, the energy I wanted. So because of that shift, I also felt the need to try something else. So the, the first idea was to make a shift in within the company itself to a different department, but yeah, it, that wouldn't really change a lot. So that's why I decided. And I think it took me a while to make that decision because I needed to gather the courage to to quit because I, I quit the job without actually having anything lined up, which was seems small right now when I, I talk about it uh, just years later. But at the moment, it was really scary because you feel like, yeah, we mentioned I kind of followed the 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 typical path, the path with least resistance, the risk-free path, the, the, you know. So this was really out of my comfort zone. And I think also out of the comfort zone of people I surrounded myself with, especially at my work. Everyone I used to speak to was like, are you crazy? <laughs> Why would you quit? And how come you don't have anything lined up? What, what are you going to do? What if you don't find a job at all? What if you go homeless? So it was also kind of calming myself down to not think about those scenarios of, of yeah, becoming. So, so quickly on that, uh, yeah. you, you mentioned, you know, it's either up or out. So was mm. going to another big company not an option? I, yeah. I did explore it, right? So I, I did start with applying to some jobs, but then uh, I'm not sure what triggered me, but I, I know the choice to kind of, work for myself was more based on knowing myself. I knew I needed kind of a some time to think through what my next steps would be. But then also I knew I wanted to go into change management because that's something that I've been doing for a while, but also that I wanted to kind of deep dive in a bit more. And then I could do that in within a company, within another consulting firm or within a uh, larger company, just like an in-house consultant. Those were my options. But I also know myself and know that I, once I commit myself to a company or to a project or to anything, I, I'm kind of like, I'm there. And if it wouldn't really be something I, I would like, I would still kind of push through to see if it's actually something I really don't want or, or, or do want. So going the route of getting projects for myself was the best way to go about it because then you have more flexibility to also say, you know what, this doesn't work for me. I'm stopping with the engagement right now. And it's also shorter term. So I know, okay, there's a specific end date. And after that, I can evaluate for myself and uh, decide what I want to do next. So we have to ask the question, did you make a risk analysis <laughs> to figure out if it was worth the risk to start on your own? Oh, I had so many lists and I had a, a pros and cons list. I even tried to make like a rating of all the different the different uh, scenarios. So all the, the mostly I was focused, I think, a bit too much on the neg negative side in hindsight, kind of making sure I don't go broke and, and become homeless and have to go back to, to, to my home and uh, stay with my parents or something like that. So I was really focused on making sure I, yeah, don't end up on the street or yeah, that's maybe that that's an extreme scenario thinking about it now, but in that moment, it felt like a really realistic scenario, just not being able to find a job and being hopeless. But I, I definitely, yeah, I made a lot of lists. I had a lot, I spoke to a lot of people, but also blocked out a lot of people. So not necessarily not speaking to them, but kind of choosing what I share and don't share with them. And also at work, I really needed to kind of block out what people said, because all they said was kind of pushing on their own fears on me. Right. So it really felt heavy and it felt realistic, realistic that if I didn't have a plan, I would fail. So I, I also listened to a lot of podcasts to kind of get some inspiration from other people that did the same. So, yeah, that helps. Awesome. I, I have one more question and it's about scaling. Mm -hmm. So when you look at your own business now. Yes. Uh, 
and looking like along the lines in a couple of years how big do you want to scale your own business i'm i'm not sure how big i would like to scale it i do of course have some ideas and a vision for my company and i'm at the point right now so it's been two and a half years since i started and in that time can you guys still hear me i see my screen is blocked out. your yeah. audio is fine okay my audio is fine. Okay. fine perfect yeah so I, I do have the vision, I do have ideas on it, and it's been two and a half years since I, I started with the company. And I know I'm now at the point where I really need to kind of scale up towards hiring some people. I've, I've been working with some other people that uh, also work for themselves, but I don't have anyone actually employed or partially employed. And that's something I am looking at because I'm doing everything right now on my own so my marketing but then also just some general administrative tasks but also within projects because the projects that I do are really broad so I would like to lead more towards kind of managing everything but ha that happens but not necessarily creating all the documentation that that's needed for those projects so yeah I'm looking to scale up how big I'm I'm not really sure yet I, I'd rather take it step by step and I still have my bigger vision, but yeah, uh, let's see how it goes. What's the bigger vision? The bigger vision. Yeah. So I'm still focused. So with, with ChangeGo, what I'm doing right now is providing support to companies that are going through business transformation. So all types of business transformations, be it in IT implementation, new processes, new ways of working, or maybe even a reorganization. I then jump in to help with specifically change management. Sometimes it also links with, with project management. So ensuring that the whole change project goes well. But my main focus is on the, the change management part. And change management in itself is kind of like a small project within a project because it's focusing on the, the the people side of things. And that's something I still would like to keep doing. But there are also some tasks that a more, yeah, I think a more junior person would be able to handle. So I would like to bring on someone else that's kind of the first step someone else that's uh, in a more junior role maybe with with some prior experience but someone that can just also assist in in the project and someone i can train and and help get on board and that can get running but then what i would also like to shift towards and that's kind of been my passion also since working in the consulting firm focusing more on the, the future of work and the future of the, the new generations a bit in the working world, because there, we kind of touched on it in this podca podcast episode as well. There's kind of a shift happening within the new generations and the current corporate world. There's kind of like a mismatch. And in HR, they call it the, the war on talent, because there's like kind of a, a mini war to get new talent and young talent within companies. So companies are doing weird stuff, man. They're doing all types of, yeah, things on TikTok and then internally having maybe cool coffee corners or hip stuff, you know, just to get people in the company. But what I'm noticing is they're not really changing the, the actual work and what's valued within work. So you still have the traditional corporate structure. You still have the, the kind of the workspace politics so it's it's essentially the same thing, but then in a different suit. So they they try to give it a cheat code. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> and there's really also just the the older generation just does not understand. I think our generation, but then also the the even younger generation. So I would like to kind of bring those two generations together, or kind of build a bridge Basically to, a, a generational bridge <laughs> yeah yeah it's like a it's like a generational gap so th that's something i'm also kind of focusing on and it's it's very much linked to change management but it's i think a more of a specialization where i would like to work towards with uh with change go and maybe i'll do it under a, a different brand name i do have some ideas on that <laughs> But that's something I, I that's definitely in the in the vision of, of Change Go. 
And yeah, if that goes well, I would just like to keep scaling up and adding more people to the company. But I think the main part now is just getting that vision clear and ensuring that I have some just general solutions on the shelf that I can sell to companies to help them uh, with those changes. So, yeah. I actually have so many more questions right now, but oh. I'm going to go to Giannis first, and then I'm just going to ask you one more question. Okay. Because uh, and uh, we'll wrap it up. So Giannis' question from the comments is: First of all, greetings from Curaçao, Bonochi. Thanks for sharing, Chandra. He does have a question. If you could give a 17 or 18 year old some advice about your academic and career choice, what would advice mm, would be? That's a good question. I think it's it's different for everyone, but I I would say to kind of explore a bit more. To yes, be focused on on the academic side. I do still believe it it can bring value and stability, and also allows me or allowed me to kind of make the shift because it's kind of a foundation I can I can fall back on if if things don't go well but that won't happen so <laughs> that's that's uh, not something I plan on, on on well actually my current career is kind of also based on on my career on my uh, academic uh, study so yeah but I would say to still know that the your academic studies are important to still focus on that part but then also exploring other opportunities. I think there's also a, it's maybe kind of a, a hype to also take a gap year, but I think it does make a lot of sense, the gap year, because it provides people with the opportunity students to just kind of explore a bit more on what they want. And I think there's two ways to do a, a gap year. One way is kind of to live your best life and travel and party and just and then come back and just be like oh shoot i'm not even sure what i want but there's also a good way to to do it and that's really focusing in on okay these are my possibilities and maybe start with what you don't want and then go into what you do want and i think what what also helps is to get really practical experience from people because especially when you're 18 you don't really have a lot of experience of how the real world world works especially the working world so getting insight and speaking to people who actually do the work i think will really help you to make a choice so yeah i would say those stuff and i think parents also play an important role so i think there's not enough emphasis uh on kind of giving your child more freedom to explore all those different opportunities it also had to do with of course for our parents for instance it was a different time so they taught us what they knew was best in their time but then things kind of shifted and there yeah there are many opportunities but i think if we're kind of in the age where we're becoming parents we're not parents yet diego and me but shanluk you are so if we can just instill that in our in our children and in any other young kids or um, nieces or nephews that we speak to then i think that'll it'll help them as well that's a great that's a way damn to, good answer yeah, yeah that, that's a great way to sum it up i hope you're satisfied with that giano and and i saw shan look laughing the part where, where you mentioned you know you can take the gap here and go party <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, i specifically saw you laughing at that part shan look did, did you do that no. <laughs> oops sorry The, the the part about the partying during the gap year. No, so I I, I want to quickly clarify that. <laughs> like now you give you give two options. I'm familiar with the second one because I took a gap year because I was 17 and I didn't want to mm-hmm. have like somebody have custody over me overseas who mm. was not my one of my parents. Yes. So I think that was a big reason for me why I took a gap year. In my mm. gap year, I worked different jobs. Mm-hmm. I ended up at a television station. One mm-hmm. of the coolest jobs I had. So I worked four different jobs within a year. So I got a lot of experience. I also I didn't live with my parents. I live I lived with my one of my best friends. So we oh, really nice. had our own chores at home and everything. But the first option you mentioned, mm-hmm. going all out partying, traveling, with whose money are you doing that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's something. It's a choice for rich kids, but you do see that. kind of coming up a lot of people are are doing that so 
Yeah. Well, if if your parents will provide you to go on, I mean, that for me, I would have taken that gap year after I I graduated or I got in my master's. Mm -hmm. That's something I considered. And then I would have to actually, so I did consider traveling the world Mm -hmm. and working in those different countries. So applying for like minimum wage jobs just to get around or have enough money to travel the world that came up. Actually, one of my friends or two of my friends did that. But after high school, like you need very wealthy parents to be able to do that. So I think that's why Diego and I were laughing. I think he was laughing like, did you do that? I was like laughing like, (laughs) who are going to provide my parents? No, they were not going to provide for that that lifestyle. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks for clarifying. So to close this off, Chandel, a final question from me to you is, how would you describe Chandel in two words? In two words... I think that's that's difficult. While you're thinking about that, Giano, he loved the answer and uh, appreciate that. Yeah, it's always difficult to talk about yourself and to kind of describe yourself. Also, when I have like it's it's like a job interview, but for different projects I have and clients I come across, I kind of also need to talk about myself, and I always have difficulties with it. But if I would describe myself in two words, I would say. And of course, that this could change over the years. Yeah, it probably it pr- it probably has. Diego is sneaking in these tough questions at the end. Yes, I don't know. Yes, he has been doing that for a couple of weeks now, and our <laughs> guests have been struggling. A They're little struggling bit. with it. Yeah, but if I it would take it with a kind of a, a pinch of salt and kind of lighthearted, I would say funny because I I always when I crack jokes, I always need to laugh at myself. So that's probably one of them. I would say I'm, I'm funny. I don't know if everyone agrees, but, and then the second one would be, I would think I, yeah, what would the other, I, I would say, yeah, it's difficult because I, I was going to say outgoing because I, I do like to meet new people. But then again, I also have a side of me that's more like an introvert where I, I don't want to see people at all. So, but yeah, let's just, just go with those two. Uh, all right. Yeah. A f- a funny, outgoing introvert. Okay, three. Yeah. <laughs> so that's great. Uh, okay. I if I, if I may do a... But yeah, if I do yeah, make a final question, exactly. because uh, we've been streaming on Film TV and Diego, there's a question from Unc about what kind of uh, equipment we use for recording the show. So maybe we should just answer that one on Hive itself. But also a follow-up question, because we talked about the younger generation advising 17, 18-year-olds. Mm-hmm. So what advice would you give to somebody who has always done manual labor and is now ready to make a career shift? Is there anything in particular that you came across towards that you say like somebody with a lot of experience, like uh, manual labor experience, what kind of career would be fitting for them in this in this day and age? When you mean manual labor, you mean, can you give an example? So you, you really mean like working on the fields or in a factory? In a factory, a truck driver, something mm. that's really like you, you're based on your, your real life skill handling mm-hmm. stuff compared to the Gen Z who kind of uh, does that in, in 3D online. So I'll, I'll give, if, I, if you want yes. me to frame it, mm-hmm. let, let, me, let me frame it with an example. Okay. Like one of the things is like telephone companies. Mm. So there are a lot of people working for telephone companies mm-hmm. who are like, like real manual labor workers who put out the lines for the telephone, the, the cable mm-hmm. lines for telephone. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden you have this company that's all moving to mobile. Everything is fully wireless. And basically there's no cables to be later on mm-hmm. anymore because mm-hmm. everything goes to 5G and, and other wireless yes. things. And and they haven't been, the company has, I wouldn't say failed, but the company has not been able to kind of re-educate exactly. all of the personnel. Mm-hmm. So if somebody like that says like, Maybe it's time for me to do a career change. Yes. What kind of career would you would you consider Ooh. that would be a good a choice? And you're telling me that I'm asking a difficult question. <laughs> no, but I think um, so. <laughs> if you're in that situation, from from my experience or what I've seen other people do, it's important to also go on a, a journey to 
identify, I don't want to say self-discovery or just typical words, but I do think it's important to have a good objective view of what your strengths and weaknesses are. So maybe speaking to people around you to grasp or maybe first ask yourself. I think journaling also helped me. So writing things out and and being still with yourself to identify, okay, what, what do I actually enjoy? I've been putting out these cables, doing this manual work, which elements of this work did I enjoy, which which didn't I enjoy? And aside from that, what are other things maybe not within work, but within uh, my personal space that I enjoy doing? Do I, do I enjoy talking to people a lot? Do I give them advice or do I like cooking or do I like... So if you identify those things, you can also kind of make a plan to shift. In some cases, I would say, Yes, it can help to get maybe an education or even just a a smaller training or or something like that. But maybe it's it's not needed because and that's something that's not new to you guys being social social entrepreneurs. But there's a lot of also opportunities in just filming what you're good at. So if you're good at cooking, filming it and putting it online is something that can really already help. Or if you're good at, you know, the electrics and lane cables, maybe you can apply that knowledge to just the general things that people can do around the house themselves and make tutorials and then see if you can go on that path. So it all depends on on what you would like and what you're good at and would, would enjoy. That's the basis, I think. Awesome. And my camera just lasts exactly for an episode and that's a sign <laughs> to wrap it up. But uh, Chandel, <laughs> Chandel, we love uh, loved hearing your perspective, especially on change. Uh, change is a big thing. There's a saying, the only constant is change, basically. Yes. And we got some comments as we close uh, this off from Michael from YouTube. Great stuff. Biggest takeaway for me is there's a life after corporate and from your friend Sandrina, now Beverdeck Hensel, who was on here a yes. few weeks ago. Awesome compost, guys. Uh, very inspiring and insightful. And Sandrina, congratulations. But with that being said, we really appreciate you sharing that with us, uh, coming on Social Compost. To close it off, where can people find you? Where can people reach out to Change Go? And what can people expect from you? Yeah, so personally, I'm, I'm more on Instagram at shandel.h. Uh, that's my my screen name, and then professionally on on LinkedIn. I'm not really on Facebook a lot, so I, I don't think that's really the the right place to connect with me. So those two channels are the channels I have at the moment. I also have a business page for ChangeGo on LinkedIn, and also on Instagram as well. So both of them are. I think if you search ChangeGo Consultancy, then you can find them uh, easily. And what they can expect from me, I plan on sharing just more general knowledge on the work that I'm doing because I think there are a lot of misconceptions on change management or, or just things people have questions about, and that's something I would like to just contribute and just share online. And then also the part that we discussed around just bridging the gap between the uh, gener generations. On the workforce that's something that i'll also be focusing on so yeah if you're interested in that or if you would just like to connect on a more personal level jen yeah please uh, reach out awesome we'll link those in the episode show notes as well this episode will be released on saturday on the podcasting platforms as usual if you guys have feedback for us send it our way we love reading feedback and with that being said shanluk well, thank you all for watching. Shandell, thank you so much uh, for being our guest. This was Social Confos. See you next Tuesday. Same time, same place. See yes. you. Bye-bye. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye.